Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Uh, today's guest is Rob Pierce from Oklahoma, and he's one of our cooperative producers raising bulls for our new heat tolerant program, which is something that I really haven't talked about much here on this uh, this podcast. And I'm looking forward to getting into that as well as the rest of their their story and their transition to kind of this uh, low input ranching model. And and yeah, so thanks so much for joining me today, Rob, and, and welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Well, thank you. Glad to be glad to be asked to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think a few people have said that I should talk to you and uh, a few of the other cooperators. It's it's funny, you know, we've got this group of cooperators and there's many of them like you that I haven't been able to meet yet. You know, you've got your, your down south and your sales and we've got our sales up here. And so it's kind of a, a, a unique group that we we're all over, but uh, it's good to get to meet you at least via via Zoom here today. But um, the way I usually like to start these is just kind of ask you to introduce yourself, maybe talk a little bit about your history, uh, where you come from, and how you got to doing what you're doing today. Okay. Uh, Rob Pierce, wife, Donna, and we've got three kids and now three grandkids. We're in Telefall, Oklahoma. We're in, uh, that's the northeast corner. You can be in Kansas, Missouri, or Arkansas in about uh, 30, 45 minutes in any of those states. So we're in the corner of the state there. Uh, family always, as far as livestock, family always off farm jobs, but always had livestock married into a family that was actually a rodeo company. Uh, and I also rodeoed, rope calves, uh, picked up wrong. when I married into the rodeo company, I, I, I become everything, whatever they needed. Uh, and then the cow deal, you know, because of off-farm jobs, it didn't seem like nobody was really concerned about them making money. Mm. Um, so when I, you know, kind of got off on my own and got cows, I didn't have a, I roped. So, you know, I tell everybody the difference between a medium pizza and a and a calf roper is a medium pizza can feed a family. Uh, so, <laughs> so I needed I needed my cows to uh, to make money, and and man, I just struggled to do that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of made the change in 2012 as far as that. Uh, also, one of the things I always share with people is is I'm pretty big on my faith. Uh, now I pastor a church, and so. That transition from the cows not making money to becoming a pastor of a church uh, by vocational. The church had fourteen in it when I started. Wow. Uh, I was trying to I was trying to make money, you know. Just at that point, I you know I had two kids and one on the way, so you can see where the cow deal needed to make some money. For, yeah. for me, not like my yeah. father-in-law was a, a pipeline superintendent. My dad owned restaurants, Western store and, and mm. a feed store. So, you know, that's that's kind of where I come from. I needed cows to make money. Yeah. 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 What were you? You said now you pastor a church. You Were you at one point doing something different where the cows didn't need to make as much money? And that, that transition was really 
forced you to look at the cattle enterprise a little differently? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I've never, I guess, Jared, I've never, I worked a secular job one time in my life for about six months and it was at a plant. We have an industrial plant real close to where I grew up in Locust Grove and it's at Pryor. And, you know, I just never had big income off the farm like my family did. Um, businesses, uh, my father-in-law pipeline, you know, probably made, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand a year. He was a superintendent. So uh, my cows just, yes, they needed to make money. One of the things my daddy-in-law told me when I sold out in 2008 is, well, be think about that, he said, because cows will hold money together. And I said, well, so will an envelope and a rubber band. And, <laughs> and so with a lot less work. Yeah. And so I, I did sell all my cows in 2008 and I had been a pastor at that time mm -hmm. since Oh three. Okay. So about five years of pastoring, I had 300 cows. They needed to make money because when I become the pastor and they called me for a full-time pastor, just a year or two after, mm -hmm. uh, becoming bivocational, I was mowing yards. Uh, mm -hmm. I was just always taught, do what you have to do to make it. And, yeah. and as the church grew pretty rapidly, you know, to, to take, to visit the sick and, and just minister like you need to, it's a full time, takes a lot of hours. Uh, but I just need the cows not to answer your question, I guess, seems like, seems like I'm beating around the bush here, Jared, but to answer your question is two things. I needed them to make money for the time I was having to put in them. And so mm -hmm. I was putting a lot of time in them for not much money. And that's why when I began to learn about PCC in 2010, 11 there, that's why it was kind of a double positive for me because mm. less inputs, less time, yeah. more money. So that yeah. makes sense to you. Absolutely. <laughs> it does. Yeah. That's a, that's a really, it's, it's cool because um, yeah, you hit on the big things, not only to make more, not only were you able to make more money, but your lifestyle actually got better. And it seems like in agriculture anyway, people think the only way to make more money is to work harder. And uh, you kind of found the opposite. Uh, yeah. It sounds like, but so you said you sold your cows out, you had 300 cows, you sold them in 2008. And then you had kind of a four year break between getting back in in 2012. Is that, that, that right? Or did you dabble with right. it in the meantime? Right. No, when I, when I sold out, I, I sold completely out and didn't really dabble in nothing. Most of my pasture was lease pasture. Okay. Uh, so I, I either subleased them or turned them back. And then, and I really don't know. I've, I've we've tried to think back and somebody subscribed me to the PCC newsletter and I, mm. I believe it was a church member that, that went to our church and, and huh. I, I cannot remember. And I've asked him and he, he said, Oh, I probably did. I subscribed to everybody. And I don't think he ever even had cattle. He just, <laughs> he just had the newsletter. That's funny. So, uh, so I began to read about that. I'm going to say somewhere in the middle of 2010 and mm -hmm. it just was all making sense. And I'm like a lot of people It took me about a year and a half to, to fully grasp it. As, as Kit says, you know, probably took me a year and a half to decide I was going to get off the fence. And, mm -hmm. and what I'd done 
is I went and bought 300 Corinthe cows, the, the Spanish cows, the Criello cows, and, and uh, I always butcher that. And Kitty makes fun of how I say Corinthe, but uh, <laughs> I went and bought them and, and went to the, I believe it was the November fall bull sale in 2012 and bought five PCC bulls, real, mm. real thick, easy fleshing bulls to put on those Spanish Corinthe cows. Mm-hmm. And the whole purpose there was to raise me some, in my mind, some thousand pound females that was going to be very hardy. And, and so that was my whole purpose is I'm going to raise me a set of cows that is going to not take the time and the money to manage and still raise, you know, a good marketable calf. That was, Mm -hmm. that was what I'd studied out and thought would, would work. And, and so the bulk of our cows are, are now that half red Angus and Corinthe. Yeah. And, and uh, so you said you kind of lost the leases. How did you jump back in full steam with 300 cows right away, finding land? And I want to get into the cows too. I won't, I won't leave that, but that, that alone, yeah. I mean, a lot of people spend a lifetime trying to accumulate that kind of a land base. You let it go and managed to jump back in in a year. Yeah, well, it was, it was actually 2008. So it was about four years. So, so yeah. by yeah. the time I jumped back in, but mm-hmm. in the meantime, I did, we, we did buy, a place and it's 300 acres. And then I, I, I just know a lot of people as, as I've said, you know, my family was in business. I always just put it out there. And so I was able to get some really good leases and, uh, Mm -hmm. just our family has been around this and we're just small towns. And, and so, uh, I was able to get a hold of some good leases and, and then the last couple of years, I've even got a hold of some better ones. And so I guess the only way I could explain that, Jared, because it's very hard to lease land around here like it is, I'm yeah. sure, everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I've I've tried to really take care of places. And so I've actually had people call and say, hey, we're not happy with the guy leasing our land. I'll never run under nobody to lease their land. Sure. But they'll either tell me they're not happy or somebody that sold out and decided to lease it. So I've had some really, really good opportunities. One neat story, it's kind of a God story is one year I was at the spring Texas sale before Mm -hmm. I was a CP Mm -hmm. and I had met Doug Marburger, who's real bold about his faith. And and I was just commenting on, on where they developed the bulls down there. And, and I didn't realize it was all lease. And I said, man, I wish I could, find a big lease place like that in my country, that many acres in one mm-hmm. spot. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'll never forget Doug looking at me and said, well, you're the preacher this bunch. Don't you have faith, son? And, uh, <laughs> and I said, I said, well, I, I'm praying about one and a basket guy about one is 1100 acres. And, and, uh, he said, well, if you got faith and you keep praying, if it's supposed to be, it will be. And this, this literally happened. He takes about five steps from me there at West Texas where the bull sales going on and my phone rings and it's the owner of the 1100 acres that told me he had decided to lease me the land. And could I come by? And I said, well, I'm actually in Texas and actually just told I didn't have enough faith. So uh, maybe my face, I got enough faith. And so that's turned in. That was, that was four years ago. And, and I got a, got a good lease there. So with God's favor and just beating the bushes and letting people, 
no, I'm interested in lease ground, but also I believe taking care of lease ground has, has probably been more of what's got me into some leases because I try to leave them better than I, I find them. Yeah. Wow. That's a pretty incredible, <laughs> incredible story. And it's funny, man, I'm trying to think of who it was. I feel like there was somebody else who had a very similar story that I've shared on this, you know, in the past too, that was something almost just like that. Uh, and that they, uh, the, 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 the rate that the turnaround from a prayer or, or something like that to, to reality is pretty incredible and power, uh, the power yeah. of prayer and the power that God's got. I, I appreciate you sharing that. That's, that's really cool. Um, but, uh, that, no, that makes sense then that the getting back in and, and stuff, it's, uh, it's interesting. And then I guess back to the cow part a little bit and, and the actual management, maybe talk a little bit about how you managed your cows pre 2008 when you sold out and, and what, you know, what was the actual transition in your mind and how you manage your cows then and, and, and you managed them in, in 2012 and you got back in. Well, in 2008, I was just, uh, just so traditional, you know, sure. the questions asked around this part of the country is how many round bales of hay does it take mm -hmm. to winter a cow? Uh, how many cows per acre? Hardly any rotational grazing here. So I had just, I just brought up that way. So I wasn't doing anything any different than anybody else. I wasn't rotational grazing. Um, uh, I was probably overgrazing because, you know, everybody just tell you how many you could put per acre and just mm -hmm. lack of lack of learning and paying attention would be listening to everybody else. And traditionally, you know, feeding, feeding around here, it's anywhere from the minimum of four round bales of hay a year to some people will say it takes eight. And I was probably I was probably right, right in that you know, four or five round bales a year. So you, hay mm. to me is the highest thing you can feed, you know, and yeah. in 08, you know, you could probably buy it for $25, $30 a roll. Now it's because of this drought, it's 75 and 80, uh, mm. even a hundred a roll around here. So yeah. you think about that nowadays, a guy, guy feeding five round bales of hay a year and it cost him $75. And then, you know, we was, we was supplementing with cubes. You'd feed three pounds of cubes a day. And at that point, cubes was 220 to 240 a ton. Now I was told just the other day, I hadn't bought cubes since I've started back in 2012. I hadn't bought any cubes. We, if we do have to supplement protein, we try to do it with alfalfa or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, just if we need some protein, but yeah. you know, I think about how I was doing it in 08 with, four average of four rolls of hay a year and and three pounds of of cubes a day at 225 to 240 a ton and now that's 75 to 80 dollars and and mm. 400 dollars or 500 dollars a ton and the kef prices are the same i mean for for the most part i mean mm. maybe a little better but so just when you add that up and you, you add a kef up and it just don't work. I mean, and so when, when I started back, the transition was after listening and receiving the newsletters, uh, the discussion group, I decided I was going to, you know, rotate rotational graze, uh, the smaller cows. I was going to get 
and I have found this real true on my behalf. I don't know if it is everybody's, but I could literally run 30% more cows. Rotational grazing was probably getting me. I, I, I don't do the intense moving them every day just because mm-hmm. we're strung out on lease pastures, but sure. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll move our cows probably I'd say ever 10 days, two weeks, depending on the lease place and our water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're not real intense, more intense places than others. So with shrinking the cow size, the rotational grazing, making sure my genetics was hardy, easy fleshing. We, we have had some tough years, as you know, the droughts in 13, whatever, 12, mm-hmm. 13 there. Um, and then again, this year we've, we've had to feed some hay, but I've yet to ever feed an average of over even a half a bell of hay per cow so so you do the math on that and then and then if we we've got we're right on the line of the fescue so some of our some of our release pastures do not have any cool season grasses so we do have to you know supplement some protein there and we'll do that with a forage like alfalfa last year Mm -hmm. uh, we had some opportunity to buy a little bit of uh, Sudan grass hay that, you know, tested plenty high for dry cows, Kevin with nature. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so just the big transition, I would say smaller cows, rotational grazing and, and changing the Kevin with nature is, is where the, the big money Mm -hmm. come. Sure. And, and you kind of talked about, you know, one of the things people talk about stocking rate a lot. And, and I'm curious, as, as you managed to go from feeding four bales, five bales, whatever it was a winter to half a bale at most per cow, did you see you needed more acres or with smaller cows and improved management, you were able to increase production or, or utilize it better in a way that you were able to carry the same amount of cows without no, yeah, we was our carrying capacity was just as much. Really, uh, we we could still run the same amount, and and we may be possibly running more. Oh. Uh, right now, I think right here, what if you go to the FSA office, they'll tell you. I think I'm right on this, Jared. I, I I'll be real close. I think mm-hmm. it's one cow per three point two is what they tell you. I think sure. that's really close. If I'm yeah. not not right on there, is that 3. for a year 2. or a summer? Yeah. Okay. that well, well that that's include a year there again that's for <laughs> that's per year but yeah they ain't telling you how much <laughs> the, yeah. the fsa the fsa office also going to tell you you need four rows or five rows of hay a year yeah, so sure, sure there again that's that's yeah. a little bit of a confusing mm-hmm. number yeah. uh you know like i like one of the things that got me in carrying capacity was when i was in high school, because my family had businesses, I bought me a, a 24 foot trailer and had a one ton dually while I was still in high school and, mm-hmm. and custom hauled wow. uh, mm-hmm. cattle for people. And and I always got tickled and it didn't dawn on me till all these years later, I would get tickled when somebody would call me and they'd say, how many head can you haul? And I'd just sit there a minute and see if they'd figure out that wasn't a very smart yeah. question. And, <laughs> and I'd sit there a minute and they said, well, how many head can you haul? And I said, well, it depends it depends if it's uh, if if they weigh a hundred pounds, you know. I would just use that. I knew they wouldn't weigh that, but if yeah. they weigh a hundred pounds, I can haul twelve hundred of them. If they weigh twelve thousand, I can just haul one. Yeah. It all depended on that trailer yeah. was good for twelve thousand pounds. 
Mm-hmm. That's what that trailer would haul. Sure. And yeah. so I, yeah. I would just, you know, and it took a long time for people to realize that trailers haul so many thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people still don't realize that, but a pot, a, a bull wagon, you know, they're good for about 50,000 pounds. It yeah. Yeah. doesn't matter what the size of the animal you. So I laughed and thought that was a dumb question. And the same questions being asked when, from me, when I was leasing somebody's pasture, how many head can it run? Well, when I began to read the newsletters, I realized how dumb a question I was asking because it had the carrying capacity for so many pounds of cows. I mean, and, and if you rotational graze and, and you manage that grass, you can put more pounds Mm-hmm. per acre like kit talks about yeah on that so uh the stocking rates the smaller cows got me 30 percent more to me if you didn't do nothing with rotational grazing and to me you could extend that the more intense you could rotational graze it so you if you manage that right i I don't keep good enough records on that because they're leased grounds and I'm watching the water, water. I mean, I'm having to just rotate with where I've got water. Cause I can't, I don't feel like I can spend the money to, to, you know, pipe water in here and there, but you know, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm probably getting pretty close to that one cap or three acres on the better places. Hmm. But, with no hay, that means yeah. you're smaller cows and rotational graze that. I, I hope that's all making sense yeah. to you. It, it is, and it's pretty incredible. And I, I like the analogy used of the trailer because I, I've not heard that before, but it's a good way to think about it. Yeah, and, and just put in perspective the difference between a, an animal uh, you know, and, and a weight, you know, there's, there's a difference between a 1,200 pound cow, 1,400 pound cow, 1,000 pound cow, you know, and, and what that, that means on your land so it's pretty incredible that you're able to run the same amount of cows or more with no feed over winter potentially a little supplement and i I wanted to ask you about that because that the people that i've talked to from down there especially it sounds like like and you kind of addressed it already you know when you get out of the the cool seasons and onto that warm seasons it sounds like that kind of grass is not i mean it does not maintain quality into winter am i understanding that right that's pretty poor stuff even with hardy cows like a coriani cross with pcc genetics that's still tough tough, it, tough it, stuff on it, it. It is. Uh, it, and, and there again, we got lease pastures and we probably got them scattered over a 30 mile area. And so we've got, I've got one particular pasture that is a really, really good mix of fescue and Bermuda. Mm-hmm. We, we have had it. I think we've had it four years. Also, I got it the same years. I got the bigger place and they're just about a mile or two apart, but one of them has, hardly any fescue hardly any cool season grasses mm-hmm. and and we will come and and no-till some cool seasons in it you know we did last year and we're going to this year especially since we're getting rain today we we just had the seed in the barn waiting we didn't know what to do with it uh so the the one pasture that's got the fescue this is our fourth year of having it and we have fed zero there we haven't supplemented we haven't fed. And when I say zero, I shouldn't say that. We've had a couple of, of snows and this and that where we took them something and they'd probably been fine. You know, mm-hmm. some of them guys say, oh, they'll dig through it if it's going to be on a day or two. But 
very, very, very minimal. Nothing unless there was snow or ice covering up the grass. So that place, because of the good mix of grass, it's got a fescue, Bermuda, and it's a real good mix, some clovers. It's got ponds where we can rotate it really good. And that that is all half-blood cows. I keep all my half-corente, half-red Angus. Uh, to, to give you an idea what those cows was, we weighed those cows two years ago when we come in to wean calves. Calves was right at seven and a half months old. And this will let you know where I was, how my 2012 starting this idea worked because that is the cows there that I was looking for. Them cows weighed 980 and the bull calves weighed 579 and the heifers weighed 520. And they have had, they have not been supplemented as dry cows. They've had very minimum just when there's snow or ice on that pasture. And that's what them cows are doing. So you go back to my 2008 years of feeding uh, (laughs) and you go to that pasture right there. And there, that is, that is the best pasture I've got. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it just, it just, it's just got the perfect mix. If Mm -hmm. anybody ever wanted to know what to put their land in (laughs) around my part of the country, I'd go say, go figure out what that mixed grass is right there. And, and, and that's 200, and, and you can calculate right here, that's 240 acres is what that place is. And we've, we will never have less than 65 on it, and we've had up to 80. So, you know, there's a, there's a place that you could easily fit, figure the ratio. But that's the best place I've got with the mix of, but to answer your question back in our part of the country, you know, four miles down the road on the 1,100 acres, it's mainly... It is mainly Bermuda grass, and we got a frost a couple of weeks ago, and it's pretty much done. It, it's pretty tough. Now, them them Corinthe and the Michonne across that we got, they will go after it, and they'll do pretty good on it, but it hardly has anything to it. So we will either supplement on that place with alfalfa mm-hmm. um, or, you know, like last year we got some, some Sudan hay that, that I think tested out like a 10 or 11% uh, protein. And then, you know, it's, it's cross fence pretty well too. And we will, we'll no till some cool season stuff in that we can turn in on to, you know, pull on and off. So, but most of the grass down here, we're just right on the line of the fescue that you hear of in, in, in Missouri. And, and we just, we, now, ours is toxic. That, that's part of the reason I even got the 240 acres. That's another neat story is that guy just couldn't get his cattle to perform on it, couldn't get them to breed in the spring and and had a lot of foot and, you know, tail problems and just the stuff that fescue brings. And so far, our half Corinthe, half Red Angus have handled that fescue really, really well. Yeah. That's awesome. I, it's cool to hear those things, especially when you compare, I'm, I'm just still blown away by like, you talk about the savings, imagine saving five bales of hay today, you know, 400 bucks and, and, uh, plus the cubes and, you know, man, and running the same amount of animals plus labor and all the equipment needed for all that. And gosh, it, it, I can really see, it doesn't take, a you know, a mathematician or an accountant to be able to look pretty quickly at that and see the numbers shift pretty big. So that 2012 was that, you know, those kinds of changes you started implementing pretty soon, pretty quick getting back into that, that story. What, 
what did you what did you see were you pretty excited to see things happening like you maybe you know thought or were there some challenges you know a lot of times you can read these things and put them to reality they may they may be a little more challenging than than you think well uh, yeah because we had the drought in 13 i was all fired up about all this and yeah and 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 there you go i i buy and i kind of do my figure and i kind of get my plan together and and we'd had all these good years and and uh doggone it we had we have the drought the first year i'm in so it was very challenging one of my least places no water the ponds dried up uh so we had to move off of it so it was very challenging but i tell you what happened also that year that was good and and this come from the newsletters is when we run out of grass and and mainly water that year it was was my problem i i another one of those things well hey could we send the cattle to be grazed somewhere you know and and don't really know how this happened either i was actually preparing for church on a wednesday night and i don't know if somebody called me or or what but there was a they'd seen it and somebody was talking about the droughts in oklahoma and we went through them a few years ago here in east texas and we'd love to help somebody out like we was helped out by grazing cattle for them and i actually sent uh, a couple of pot loads of cattle to east texas and grazed through that drought and it was the corintes and we sent them down there which worked out really good i told you i was i was trying to raise me some females so i actually sent the corintes down there kevved them out sent, brought my heifers back and i think ended up leaving them cows down there a couple of years and then sold the cows down there and just got me a, several of my half-blood heifers that i was after yeah. So challenging. Yeah. I mean, you had to uh, drought the, the second year in, you know, and you had this plans of, you know, I'm not going to feed nothing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. And then we get into, you know, it was a, it was a pretty tough, tough deal that year. And so that was the challenge. But again, from just being a part of the discussion group and the newsletters, you think outside the box, I could send, instead of hauling all this high, high dollar hay in from Texas in 2013, several loads to my cows. I just hauled two loads of cows to where the grass was. Mm-hmm. Makes more sense than, than paying a hundred dollars a bale for hay and having to have 15, 20 loads of that from East Texas to here, where you can just send two loads of cows down there and, yeah. and, and graze them. So that was another, to me, thinking outside that box. I don't know if I would have ever done that if I wouldn't have, you know, got in the discussion group and thinking outside the box don't don't think like everybody else yeah and and i obviously yeah coming right back in in drought time that that pretty pretty quickly can put a damper on, on the excitement i'm sure that you had getting back into this after four years of study and planning and getting back into it but as far as like the actual philosophies drought aside it kind of sounds like it went pretty well as pretty much as well as you you had hoped it, it has. And I actually told my wife that, you know, when we bought back in 2012 and I said, we'll try it for 10 years. And, you know, here we are, it's 2022. So yeah, yeah. pretty easy math. It's 10 years. And I said, if we're making money, we'll, we'll stay in the cow business for not, I guess we'll sell out for good because if it don't make money this way, mm-hmm. I don't know how it would any other way because yeah. we cut the cost so far back. So somebody yeah. asked me just the other day that knew that I was going to give it 10 years so well, you're at the 10 year mark are you making any money and and we've 
we sure think we are. <laughs> I mean, we, and, and my wife said, oh, would we know we just keep all of our heifers. We don't ever sell no heifers because now we're back up. We're about to 550 cows, I think. So, you know, we're, we've, we've grown and we've sustained and, and as much enjoyed it, you know, just because it's, it's so, so much less work. I would hate to be trying to take. And, and so, so you think about the time consumed, this ought to be encouraging to, to listeners. The church was 14 when I took over as pastor and it, it, and it was growing fast. Don't get me wrong, but trying to take care of 300 cows the traditional way, it just wasn't working. And now our church has grown to, we're about 700. Now we actually have two campuses wow. uh, and I've got 550 cows. And so that tells you that I've learned how to manage both of them. The, I, I laugh. I say the sheep the, that God's <laughs> given me to shepherd and the, and the cows that God's given me to manage, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I've learned to be way more efficient with both, I guess. So mm-hmm. uh, that tells you how much time savings that, that it is. That, that, that tells you a lot. Absolutely. Wow. That tells you a lot. And, and, and it's, I'm impressed because I, uh, I, you know, we're here in uh, Southeast Minnesota. I've had a job the last couple of years, uh, took on a, on a job and it it's hard. It's difficult to stay focused on something you know, on one thing, it's hard to, you know, focus on, on growth and build and being a pastor of a church is absolutely full-time, uh, a full-time thing. And, and then being a manager of a ranch is a full-time thing. And you manage to grow both and, and be successful at both. It sounds like, do you have any tips or something, you know, tricks or any thoughts or experiences that that's worth sharing on kind of, I don't know, that just give some insight into the the mindset you've had to allow you to to do what you've done. Well, I, I think uh, I think a lot of it is is the herd quitter mentality, the thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that whether whether that's been my ministry, whether that's been, uh, you know, I I, I mentioned I wrote Kevs, and in two thousand one, I won the IPRA World Championship, and I didn't have a grandpa or a daddy that roped, and so mm-hmm. I was having to learn that on myself, and and I I they didn't have the roping schools at that point like they do now. And so I've just always been one that the work wasn't an issue for me, but my oldest son, now that he's grown up, he said, dad's never been afraid of hard work, but I just think my dad should have always worked smarter. (laughs) Uh, and, And so when, when your son says that and he's, you know, 27 now, 20, I guess he's 28 now, but that got me thinking outside the box. I, mm. you know, I, I worked hard at the rope and I, I probably done things a little different. Wasn't raised in church. And then the Lord called me to be a pastor. I, I, I tried to learn that. So I've always had work ethics, but when my son said work smarter, not harder, I just, and then tying that with when I, when I got, acquainted with PCC when I got around the right people, positive people that didn't don't tell you, you can't do that. You know, that was the, that's the biggest deal. You know, we can do what we choose to do, mm-hmm. but I think these, the people that work hard could take the advice of my oldest son work smarter. And I think that's, what's changed my, my profits 
as well as my growth and what you just said, time management. How can I, how can I run this many cows, pastor church that size, still have great family time, still mm-hmm. is you work smarter. You, you don't, you don't have to micromanage near as much as you think and you get cows and you try to, even in the church, you try to teach your people where they don't need to be micromanaged. So, mm-hmm. you know, so many, so many times we micromanage our cows, we micromanage this, we micromanage that. And just thinking outside the box and getting away from tradition. No, that's, that's good. I, and you got me intrigued. Uh, it's kind of off topic of the cattle, but I'm curious if you if you're okay, comfortable sharing it. You mentioned there that you you weren't raised in a church. You weren't raised, you know, a Christian, I guess, and that the Lord called you to it and called you to be a pastor. Is that a story you would you'd mind sharing? I guess I'm just gonna I, I'm that sure. that's my favorite story to share, yes. Jared. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I can share my cow story and help somebody make profits <laughs> in the in the cattle business, you know, that's going to help them for for generations or whatever here on earth. But if I can share my story about my salvation and somebody takes it and accepts the Lord Jesus Christ, that helps them forever, you know, in an eternity. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I was, I was raised in a small town. I told you that. And my family had a great name, Uh, family businesses and the Pierce family name was a name that was very respected in in the Locust Grove area, uh, feed store, restaurants, uh, Western store, just businesses. Uh, my uncle had a trucking business and the Pierce name was just a good name. My family was honest. They worked hard. And, and then the only one that was a Christian was my grandma on my dad's side. And, you know, she would, of course, beg us all to 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 give our life to the Lord and beg us to to get in church and the grandkids to be vacation Bible school. And, and very few times would I ever attend. And, you know, my mindset right here in what we call the Bible belt of the United States, Oklahoma, Kansas was when it come to life after death, my mindset coming from a good family, but yet unchurched. And why I got this idea, because I didn't even know there was an Old Testament, New Testament in the Bible. So, but my idea of how you made it to heaven and you didn't go to hell is somehow, some way, if you're good, outweighed your bad. So like God had some kind of scales or list. And if my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds, then I would make it to heaven, stay out of hell. And so that was my that was kind of my mindset. Uh, me and my grandpa, my dad's side, we was best buddies. I mean, was with him at the feed store until I started school. And then I'd be down there after school. He, he had just a handful of cows on about 190 acres. And, and he come down with, uh, I call it farmer's lung. It is a, it's a lung disease. And, and, you know, when I was 22 years old, I was holding his hand when he died Mm -hmm. and, uh, at that time I was, I was rodeoing. Uh, I just got married. And so holding his hand when he died, uh, spent a lot of time. I, I had a end dump, a dump truck business. We hauled coal into the power plants around here. So I was rodeoing and I was driving a truck 
And I think most of the listeners that drive any at all realize when you're driving through the night, late at night behind the steering wheel, you do a lot of thinking, you do a lot of soul searching. And, you know, from 92 till uh, 2001, which is nine years, I lots and lots of driving and probably well over a million miles because I drove a truck and rodeoed. I, I wondered more and more begin to think about life after death and and you know where where did my grandpa if if there's an eternity where did he go he was a good man but he was not in church and you know so i I thought a lot about that in that nine years so in 2000 i'd always just rodeoed roped calves i shared with you a while ago uh i I just tried to rope for money so i'd i'd kind of just rope right around the house because i I had enough talent that I could could win at the amateur rodeos really good and kind of sure. keep my money together and make a little bit of money. So I never worried about I didn't figure titles and buckles and stuff would do much to feed a family. You know, mm-hmm. they look good, but they yeah. don't they're, they're not worth anybody. But the guy that has them. And mm-hmm. So here's where the story to me gets gets good. There was a bigger rodeo outside that circle that I rodeoed and, and I decided to go to it. And why I was there, there was a guy that roped kids and I knew that he preached and, and some, and he was standing there and, and I was 30 years old at the time. And he asked me why I'd never made the finals. I'd made the circuit finals and the PRCA Prairie circuit finals. And cause it's in a, you know, right around Oklahoma, Kansas. And I said, well, I just, just never want to go. And he said, don't wait till you're 46 and try to do it. He was 46 years old. I was 30, 16 years older than me. And he was trying to make the finals for the first time. That's, that's, that's kind of hard to do to compete when you're 46 against guys that are in their twenties and early Mm thirties. And so when I went home, I told my wife, I said, you know, I've never thought much about making the, the, the IPRA finals there in Oklahoma city. And, I said, you know, I'm not going to 100 rodeos like most of them guys do. But I said, I think I'll circle me 50 rodeos. And if I can make the finals and 50 rodeos, we'll make it. And if you can't, we won't. Well, I circled my 50 rodeos. And, and right at the end of that season, I had the finals made. I, I was like number four, and I had them made. Well, about September, the guys that ain't got a chance at making them, they go home. Mm-hmm. And so the, the rodeo numbers, the entries really go down. Well, this 46-year-old cowboy evangelist, calls me and he said i know you got the finals made i'm right on the bubble i'm 13th or 14th i need somebody to go with me for these last few rodeos so you know Mm. he was kind of the guy that didn't didn't know him really really well but he was kind of the guy that made me set that goal and i'm i'm headed to my first finals because kind of him challenging me to do that and so I, I decided to go with him, help him get to those last few rodeos, and he began to share the scriptures with me. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I understood it wasn't about going to church. It wasn't about uh, your good outweighing your bad. I just began. And, and, then, and then the second thing, not only was he sharing the word of God with me, and just keep in mind, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Well, when he's sharing the word of God with me, that's where faith comes from when you hear the word of God. So he was sharing the word. But probably the bigger thing is not only he was doing it with his lips, he was doing it with his life. Hmm. I mean, I seen him get wronged. I seen him be in some predicaments. And when I'm rodeoing with him, I'm with him 24 seven, you know. Yeah. And so 
he was sharing the word with his lips, but he was living it with his life, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and so we both ended up making the finals and he asked us to come to some, what he called cowboy crusades in Oklahoma city area where he would preach and he would set up big church deals and they would make it a big deal for the kids and the Cowboys that's made the finals would come in and take pictures with them, you know, teach them to rope and just have bucking uh, machines there and this and that. And the whole, his whole intent was to get us there to hear the preaching. Now that I know that he, he, he wanted to make that a big deal for the kids, but he wanted the Cowboys. He had a heart to see them saved. And, Mm -hmm. and so we went and I done that at three different churches when we made the finals that year. And my wife at one of those services, you know, she, she went forward and repented and, and give her life to the Lord. And then I saw the change in her. And, and two weeks later, when we was, we was back home and I was driving a coal truck, hauling coal. And one night I read her God's little devotional book for women that a lady had got her. And I tell everybody, I don't like reading women's books. So I took my two fingers and covered up the W.O. And it said God's little devotional book for men. So, so uh, I, I read that and I read James 119 where it says, uh, be slow to uh, be be quick to hear slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god therefore receive with meekness the word of god and lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul and on the other side of that that verse it said god give us two ears one mouth we should hear twice as much as we say and if you want to prosper, you got to listen more than you speak. So that was a Monday night. I read that and I'd heard that, you know, shut your mouth, open your ears from coaches in school, <laughs> livestock judging coaches, ag teacher. My grandpa would always tell me, son, you need to listen more than you talk. Uh, that was Monday night. But but it seemed like God said it to me that night, Jared. And when, when I woke up the next morning, all I could think of is, you know, I need to shut my mouth and open my ears. And so I took off in the truck that morning about three o'clock to haul some cold to Coffeeville. And that was just, I couldn't get that off my mind. And in that truck that morning, uh, there was a song come on the radio, an old country song, The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. And I turned the radio up that morning and, and just thinking that's a good old country song. This was in 2001. And, and when I turned it up, it was just like the Holy spirit was in the cab of that truck that morning. Mm-hmm. And when that old gambler was given that young gambler an ace that he could always hold that cowboy evangelist named Marty Brock had shared me that Jesus would never leave nor forsake us. And it was just as plain as a preacher being in there with me explaining that Jesus Christ is an ace that we could always hold. He would never leave nor forsake us. And I mean, hmm. I, I cannot explain it to people in the truck that morning, man, tears was running down my face. I wasn't in church. I wasn't. And, and I just couldn't explain it. And, and, and you know, my wife giving her heart and life to Jesus two weeks earlier. And here I am driving a truck crying. I'm a cowboy. I'm thinking, man, I'm a big old sissy here. And, <laughs> and uh, so I turned the radio off just really, I think because, you know, sometimes if a preacher's preaching against something we don't want to hear, we cut him off. So I actually turned the radio off 
that morning. And the Lord just continued to deal with me, bring to my mind verses that, that Marty had shared with me while we was rodeoing. Mm. Uh, the next thing that happened is I turned the radio on and, and Martina McBride was singing a song, whether I stay or whether I go very popular song right there. And it says, De- depending on what you say, depending on what you do, depends on whether I stay or whether I go. And again, the Holy Spirit is just like the Lord said, I'm not, I'm a gentleman. I'm not going to force my way into your life, but I'm speaking to you here this morning. If you want me to stay, ask me if you don't. So again, I, you can imagine uh, it, the Holy Spirit's dealing with me. Um, um, tears are running down my face and, and mm. I just, trying to comprehend can God speak to you through country songs on the radio, but it was evident that the Lord was putting the scriptures with those things. The next song I remember was as me and grandpa stopped to pray. And I just told you nine years, I had drove a truck and rodeoed wondering where my grandpa was and just felt like the Holy spirit was letting me know my grandpa was in heaven and so I pulled over on the side of the road. I took my ball cap off and I threw it on the dash of the truck. And I didn't have a preacher. I wasn't in church. I was the only one there. And I, I told the Lord I didn't understand it. But the best I know how, I want to give my life to you. I want to. I want you to change and, and run and rule my life. And and so right there on the side of the road, I, I, that's where I was born again. And the Bible says you must be born again. But when I share that story, Jared, I always share the rest of that day, I just knew my grandpa was in heaven and I almost got mad at him because I started this story out by telling you how close he and I was. Mm-hmm. I was holding his hand when he died. I watched him, the bow on his back. I, I mean, I was holding his hand and I couldn't believe I, I was so strong believing what the Lord showed me. He was in heaven. But what I couldn't believe is he didn't tell me how to get there. And so when I got home that evening, I went up to my grandma, who's always tried to, you know, get us in church, tell us we need the Lord Jesus. And I shared what had happened in the truck that day. And of course, me and her cried together because I told her I'd got saved. But then I asked her, I said, I'm mad at my grandpa because I know he's in heaven, but he never told me how to get there. And my grandma says, Oh, don't be mad at your grandpa. Let me tell you what happened the night before your grandpa died. And I'd never, I'd never heard this. And it's nine years later. Hmm. She said the night before your grandpa passed away, he, he asked me to call my pastor and my pastor come out and my grandpa, he needed to understand things. He needed to, you know, he just didn't do things off the cuff. And so he asked for my grandma's pastor to come out and he spent about two and a half, three hours in there in the bedroom sharing scriptures with my grandpa. And right there on the night before my grandpa died, he repented of his sins, uh, called upon Jesus to forgive him and save him. And the next morning he died. And so my grandma just she cried and she said, don't be mad at your grandpa. He just didn't have time to tell you his story. So I tell my grandpa's story because he didn't have time to. And I always share, I believe in 11th hour salvations for two reasons. Number one, there was one in the Bible, that thief on the cross that died beside Jesus. He, he was saved, forgiven in the 11th hour. And secondly, 
the Holy Spirit revealed to me. My grandpa was in heaven and he was saved in the 11th hour. But I always warn the people who hear the story. So many people plan on 11th hour salvation, but death come at 1030. So anybody that listens to this story, I just encourage them. Don't wait for an 11th hour encounter with Jesus. You, you need to have that encounter with Jesus when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, because death so often comes, uh, you know, more people die in street clothes than they do hospital gowns, Jared. So, uh, you know, they, they need to be ready. We don't know what tomorrow brings. So that was not raised in church. That was God really put me on the top. So many people hit rock bottom and then they, you know, seek Jesus. Uh, I was winning won a world championship in rodeo and he took me to the top. What's it profit a man gain the whole world and lose his soul. So he, he, I, my set, my testimony so much different than most people, but he took me to the top to, to show me now what, what's this going to, what's this going to profit you if you die without Jesus. So uh, that's my testimony. And that's the story that I love to tell any opportunity I get to. Oh, I can see why you love it. And I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you shared it today. Uh, that's incredible. I, I, uh, I really appreciate that, Rob. And it, it's got me. Yeah. Well, it's, it's exciting and it's, and it's incredible because what you did too, I mean, you were later in life and then you chose to be a pastor. Um, I, when I was uh, young, I very seriously considered for a while going to become a pastor and decided to, uh, I don't know what I call it selfish necessarily, but kind of follow my personal ambitions and be a farmer. <laughs> it's what I love. It's, and, and you're, you're doing both. And, and, uh, and I love that and, and, and finding ways to, uh, to share your story. I, I think that's really cool. I, I got one question, I guess I kind of had even like for you that I, uh, I'm intrigued by now that, that I was asking there at the end when you mentioned being upset with your grandfather and then, and, and it's neat that you shared the rest of that story. And then that was his last minute, uh, his, uh, that he, that he received the Lord there in, in his 12th hour, 11th hour. But, um, you, you said like he didn't share with you and your assumption at first was that he, he didn't share intentionally and he had known this all along. And, and in that particular situation, it wasn't his situation, but I feel like, you know, myself and so many people, we, we do believe we know our path to heaven and it's a struggle to share. Um, I struggle with it. And more and more these days, it seems like it's even more and more difficult in a world that's, I don't know, uh, pulling you away or, you know, I don't know, it's, it's, right. or, or right. you know, what is persecuting, you know, Christians and stuff. How do you, how do you share? Well, I'm going to tell you what happened to me. Uh, and it's, and, and it, it, and it made it easy for me to share. Hmm. I, it, that was a Tuesday morning that that happened in that that I got saved on the side of the road in that Mack truck. Okay. I called that cowboy evangelist and told him that I'd got saved what had happened. And he said, I am preaching revival about 40 minutes from your house. Why don't you come over to the revival? And I said, well, there's no way I can make it tonight because of the work schedule. But I said, I may load my grandma up, you know, and my wife, uh, and we may come tomorrow night. So we went to this revival and it's a packed house, about 350 people, the only empty seats. And, and keep in mind, 
I just got saved. I wasn't raised in church on Tuesday morning. This is Wednesday night at seven o'clock at a revival service. Didn't really know what a testimony even was at that, that point. So we get there and the only seats are on the front row. He, he sings and preaches. So he's, he's singing. We walk in, the singing's done started. Well, the only empty seats front row. So me and my wife, my grandma go to the front row. He kind of is singing and just kind of gives me a wink and a thumbs up that, that we made it. And when he gets done singing, he says, there's a cowboy friend of mine here tonight that I want to invite up here. Well, he, I mean, he never said that to me. So I literally, <laughs> I literally elbow my wife and say, I wonder, I wonder if we know if we're mutual friends with these cowboy friends. And I began to t- kind of turn my head and look over the crowd. And when I turned around, he was walking off the stage with a cordless mic and he handed it to me. Hmm. And, uh, and he just whispered in my ear, he said, and he was crying. And he said, tell him what you told me yesterday. And so I was really mad at him. I mean, <laughs> at, at, at li- literally, I mean, I wanted just, you can imagine, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to, I wanted to run. I wanted to leave. And I mean, he, he just caught me in a point where I didn't feel like I could do that. And so I hadn't been to very many church services and, and thank the Lord. He whispered in my ear, just tell him what you told me yesterday. I wouldn't even know what I was supposed to say it. And so I got up there and I stumbled and I fumbled and I cried my way through it. And, uh, I come down off the stage, still mad at him and just hand him the mic. Just felt like I'd made a fool of myself. And when he got up there, he, he just said what, what Jesus done for my cowboy friend he can do for anybody here tonight. And I was amazed that the altars was full of people. And one particular guy was a truck driver come to me and he said, I want what you got. I know what it's like to drive and wonder and think during the night. And of course I'm, not even 36 years old in Jesus. I'm, I'm a babe in Christ. And so I'm just overwhelmed by what's happening. And, and counselors are talking to these people and showing them from the word of God, what it takes to be born again, what it takes to be saved. And so when that service was over, as mad as I was now, I'm glad I'd done it. But here's what it done for me, Jared. When you talk about people that are you know, we have a fear of sharing our faith. We, what that done to me is he didn't even preach. It was my testimony. And so I, I used to go to the coffee shop before, you know, it depending on the truck driving schedule, I would go to the coffee shop about five o'clock in the morning. And all I could think of that Wednesday night on the way home, I can't wait to get to the coffee shop to share this story. Maybe, maybe the whole cafe will get saved. That, that was my mindset. And so I got to the cafe that next morning and I shared that story. I mean, I just shared that story with about two or three tables. And the, and, and the response when you share your story will always be the same. It was in the book of Acts and it was at the cafe. I shared it at the feed store. I would share it at the rodeos. I'd share it with my Holland partners. I don't think I ever would have done it had he not called me to the pulpit 36 hours after I was saved. I saw the power of a testimony. They can argue scriptures, but they can't argue what God's done in your life. They can argue scriptures more than they can argue my story of getting saved and it drastically changing my life. So I just saw what it could do. And so I began to share it. Coffee shop, feed store in the truck with the guys that was rodeoing with me. 
at the rodeos with people that come and talk, my family, practice pen. And here's what I have found out, Jared, the response in the book of Acts. Some will mock, some will believe, and some will say, I'd like to know more about it. That's always been the response to the gospel. Some don't want nothing to do with it. That coffee shop and feed store, I could tell the ones that just kind of lock up on me. Well, that's good for you, but whatever. I mean, I had responses like that. I would have people that was saved that's never shared their faith. Tears would begin to stroll, stream down their face and say, man, I've been a Christian a long time. And I appreciate you being bold enough to tell us that story. So they was believers and it would encourage them. And then was having the opportunity of showing people in the word of God, what it took to be saved. And some of them would, you know, say, I'd like to like to hear more about it. And that's been 21 years ago. And some of them people's never come back to hear more about it, but they wanted to, but, but anyway, I encourage people, if you'll ever start sharing your testimony, I think the big reason people don't is fear of rejection, but the scriptures say they reject me, not you. So uh, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and a sound mind. And because I was called upon and put in a spot 36 hours after being born again was the best thing that ever happened to me. Cause I learned the, and, and I travel all over now and share that story. I mean, so fun. I encourage people tell your story. Yeah. I, I'm at a loss for words even. I, yeah, that's an incredible story. It really is. And I don't think I would do it justice to transition back into a conversation on cattle <laughs> well, right now. So we might well, have to have and, you back in and, another time to do that. <laughs> well, I, and, and it is, I mean, cause that's a priority that ought to be our main thing. And, yes. and that's another thing that, you know, kid is Saturday day Sabbaths and, mm-hmm. and he's bold about his faith. So, you know, that's another thing that, that was, a, that was good for me it, because when I started listening to him, you know, I was at, at a place where I, I love to listen to people, you know, he's one of them that says, you know, be the church, don't just go to church, be the church. And, mm-hmm. and, and my deal on that is we need to do both. We need to, we need to gather together, assemble together as believers we don't need to come to church to worship, but we all need to bring our worship to church where we can corporately worship together. Um, you ought to be worshiping all the time and just, you know, bring it on Sunday morning. Let's all do it together. You know, so uh, that's probably where I just think it's very important to to assemble together. And, mm-hmm. and but I think it's probably more important to be the church out there sharing your faith and 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 leading people to Jesus and you know so the the cow deal I tell everybody the great commission and this is kind of turned into Jared maybe turned into a preaching podcast instead of cows but where I'm going with this is the great commission translates you know where it says go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. When you really study that out in the Greek, it translates as you go. And I, and I've tried to tell our, the parishioners here at exciting Southeast Baptist church where I'm the pastor, as we go, as you do a podcast, as you go to a bull sale, as you go to a rodeo, as you, 
go to the grocery store, as you, whatever, as you go, look for open doors. I was flying the other day and I always get my shoes shined at the big airport so I can let my light shine. I, I challenge our people, whether you need a shoe shine or not, if you're in an airport and you got a, got a layover, get your shoe shine to let your light shine. And, and it was so neat. I asked the lady where she was from. She said, Ethiopia. Well, when she said she was Ethiopia, right there was the door. I said, I read about an Ethiopian one time and I, I read about the Ethiopian that was left the religious service and God told Philip to overtake the chariot and share with him Jesus as out of the book of Isaiah. And she was a saved lady. The farther I got in the story, she just began to beam. She just began to her countenance. She said, I know that story, but more importantly, I know that Jesus. So, you know, that's the kind that encourage you. The next guy that shines my shoes may not want to hear nothing about Jesus, but there's always a door as we go. If we're looking for that door to step through, Jesus will always, you know, give us an opportunity to share. So I guess on this podcast, all the Christians that are listening, I would encourage them as you go, look for that door that Jesus opens to share his love, his death, his burial re resurrection with them. But as you go, you know, take that opportunity to encourage others, you know, along the way. And uh, as you go means you can still enjoy life and do what you're desire to do and share the gospel also so uh Sorry. i'm not a horrible selfish person for choosing to raise cows instead of go be a pastor when i, I <laughs> no you're you're not but use use your podcast use your as you go just look for those opportunities yeah. to to share and that's what i would that's what i would tell everybody mm -hmm. um you know when i got saved my desire was to go to heaven and take as many with me as I can. Uh, so I just, I just love that, that the Lord has given me such a platform, whether it's the rodeo, going to the bull sales to share my faith. And, and, you know, we give Paul a platform and that was a prison. <laughs> so I, I, I thank him every day for the platform he gave me rather than the prison. I love that. That's well said. Oh man. Um, I, that, yeah. No, I, I I appreciate it. I have no problem with the way, the direction this podcast has gone. It's never been a primary point. I'm a I'm a Christian. I've never tried to hide it. I don't think, but I I've certainly probably not uh, driven this podcast in that direction. But I I'm so glad that this particular conversation did go this direction because I, I I truly hope and pray that the the, the testimony you shared uh, works with some works in some of the the listeners today. Um, I, I think that's probably a, as good a place as any to end. I'll have to, uh, have you on another time to have more conversation about what happened, uh, with your, your ranch and your cattle business, you know, further, but I, uh, uh, if people, well, I guess I'll still ask the questions that I'd like to wrap these up with and okay, okay. the, the it, along uh, and, and you can shape them more along this line instead of just the cattle production line, but, uh, you know, resources, uh, you know, where, where do people, if, if what you've talked about today makes people think where would you direct them and that you know can be any sort of a resource or uh, people or, or yeah anything and i'm not sure i understand that question like 
I guess usually I ask, you know, a cattleman, you know, what, what kind of resources were important in your, you know, growth as a, as a cattle producer, as a rancher, you know, land manager, podcast books, things like that. But if somebody hears your testimony and, and they're thinking to themselves, you know, this, it did something, they don't even know where to go from there, you know, right. uh, you know, where, what should people, what's the next step for people who are listening to this, who might have a, you know, who might have well, questions. And, and there you go. I just wanted to make, make sure I understood the question. And, and this sounds crazy, especially after, you know, that I'm a pastor. I'm not a big reader. I read the Bible. Uh, you know, Kid has said it before, a short newsletter like he puts out, his emails, those short things like that is what I like to read. And and I always get to feeling bad because when I listen to, you know, all the other CPs and different guys and they're telling me this is a must read and this is a must read, I struggle with with reading a lot of books and I know I need to get better at that. And I do try to get better at that. But I think, I think purchasing bulls off PCC, I think the discussion group is one of the, one of the places that if you're not a guy that jumps in and loves to read your, you know, uh, some of the books, you know, how to not go broke ranching. I mean, I've, I've read that one and, but I think the discussion group gives you those resources you need. And I don't know if this is answering your question, right. But that discussion group has really been good mm-hmm. uh, for me to think about and look into some of those. And a lot of those answers, if you're not that big, thick book reader, a lot of those answers is, uh, in there come from those books and, if you're not a reader like me, that's the they're kind of highlighting the books for you. I think I think the discussion group, his newsletters are are great. And I hopefully we're seeing uh, our universities, some of them kind of coming around to their way of thinking in the cattle deal. Uh, I, I just think you got to look for a herd quitter if, if, <laughs> for, yeah. for a good resource. Yeah. But there's so many books that are mentioned in the discussion group that I know would be be great mm-hmm. resources mm-hmm. to go to, to to transition from the traditional cattle yeah. business to, to what we we have done. I, I guess I'm also kind of wondering just for the person who maybe because I'm feeling encouraged and also almost like uh, maybe the, re- the the recommendation and the next step, like you, you kind of mentioned, is just kind of as you go, I guess, wherever you are. But I'm just kind of curious on that side, too, for somebody who felt maybe encouraged or who has more questions on the faith, I mean, on their faith and, and things that maybe not has never heard the things that you talked about. Where would you encourage that they go to follow up on that, I guess? Well, uh, and and there again, I'm not a I'm not a there's so many churches out there that that have got the Bible all wrong and and I know I refer to Kit a lot, but I feel like this is all tied to PCC. And I think mm. we're a, a team that is all about promoting Jesus as much or more than we do the cattle. So uh, there's so many churches out there, you know, used to you refer people to a church, but there's so many churches that have become just like the traditional cowman that mm. they've got it wrong. And so my first thing would, 
would be want to tell them to get to church. But if they're going to go to church to learn about Jesus, they got to make sure it's the right church. So if you don't know nothing about Jesus, how do you know you're in the right church? So, so resources, you know, there's, there's, as far as that goes, I just don't, the Bible, yes. find, yeah. find most people surely know. I was like this. I knew a lot of hypocrites that go to church and it's, you know, that's between them and the Lord, whether they're saved, but they don't live it with their lives. They live it with their lips. So, but here's, and that was always a stumbling block for me, Jared, but I also knew some that was real. I would encourage most people if you want a resource to learn more about your faith, go to that person that you know is a real Christian mm-hmm. and they can direct you to a Bible believing Bible preaching church. And, and that would be my recommendation for that That's because if they're not, if they're not preaching the word of God, like, like the verse I started out with faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, you know, so many churches have just become a traditional place, kind of a, a social club for saints. And really the church was always a hospital for sinners, not a, you know, we're, we're called to be fishers of men and we become keepers of aquariums. So <laughs> I don't know. I like it's, that. Huh. That's, I like that. Well, it's a good recommendation. First of all, um, my last question is just, uh, if people want to reach out or learn more about you, is there anything that you want to plug or, you know, how would you direct people and, Maybe you uh, don't want a flood of emails either, and that's okay. So, well, I'm I'm fine with with emails. I'm, you know, which the email address there's in the in the cooperative producers, the CPs mm-hmm. in the in the catalogs, and you're more than welcome to give that out. But sure. a few years ago, I I, I speak a lot, uh, and again, the platform is mostly at Bible slash Roping Schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of revivals <clears throat> and and i speak at three big ropens that have the 10 and under plumb to the american qualifiers the pros at them i do three of those a year and at about four or five years ago i still had a flip phone and or three years ago probably still had a flip phone and i come back home to my family and and people are going to chuckle at this but i said man i'm really confused i'm back home after one of the events and we're having family dinner and and I said, man, I've got it. I'm having a little bit of a problem. I don't know what people are talking about. And we're all eating my, my daughter-in-laws and my three kids and my wife. And they said, what is I said, well, I come off from speaking and people are saying, where can we like you? And, and <laughs> I said, you know, I look at them and I say, anywhere you want. I, you know, and and I, I, I was thrown by it. And then the other question I said, and then they're asking where they can follow me. And, I mean, I didn't have Facebook. I didn't have any kind of social media. I had a flip phone. And that question that had been asked to me quite a bit in my speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt so dumb. I didn't, I would just kind of <laughs> not answer the question and kind of get around it. And, yeah. and so when I asked them, they just died laughing and began to explain it to me. And I said, I'd never get Facebook and, and about, after they explained that to me, I got Facebook and I do a deal riding with Rob. There's a Facebook Believers Arena Facebook page. Mm. And 
we'll be working cattle, we'll be tattooing cattle, and whatever something comes to me spiritually, I mean, we may be whatever we may be doing. Uh, we usually, I usually post one or two, three, four a month. Sometimes I may post every day for a few days. But if people would like to know more about my ministry, that Facebook page, uh, I just do little three and four minute deals, uh, spiritual. When something comes to me, I mean, just mm-hmm. just turn it on. And that has been a that has been a huge deal. I actually done one. Kit was laughing the other day from Letahatchee. The first year we was down there, I was kind of waiting for the bull sale, and I went in, and how clean the bathroom was was just amazing. And I don't really remember how God spoke to me through it, but I I done a ride with Rob sitting in the Letahatchee sale barn because I was impressed just talking about about you know I don't even remember what I done, but they can they can follow us on that and and just. I, I call them little encouragement moments. It's riding with Rob, you know, mm-hmm. tattoo and cattle cow don't have a choice to take the tattoo, but when the, when we'll have a choice, you know, the people in the tribulation have taken the mark of the beast. Just, just, I mean, just there's applicable things that we do. It, it goes back to this, Jared, as we go, God's going to give us something. And, and, but yeah, uh, Love, love for people to follow that, and hopefully mm-hmm. it would encourage the lost to get saved, encourage the saved to get busy. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's a dark world. He needs our light shining. Yeah, no, well, that was great. I, uh, I really appreciate you sharing those and sharing everything you shared today. I, I do think we'll have to get you on again sometime if you're available, just to talk more about your cattle, uh, your side, and after, uh, after what happened in, in 2012, and kind of how you moved on to be a uh, CP and, and kind of how things progressed there, but that'll be a, another day. I, I was really happy where this went today. So thank you so much, Rob. You bet. Sounds good. After recording this episode, we did decide to go ahead and record part two to this conversation where we talked a lot more about his heat tolerant cattle and a little more on his history there on the ranch. So be sure to tune in next week for part two if you want to learn more about his cattle program, his breeding uh, stock, and where you can find his genetics, which is in our upcoming Alabama bull sale here in early November. Look forward to sharing that episode with you, and thanks so much for tuning into the Herd Quitter Podcast. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Faro Cattle Company at farocattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.